We're passionate about bringing business leaders the insights you need to keep doing great work. And so are our friends at Belay. Belay is an incredible 100% remote organization revolutionizing productivity with virtual assistants, bookkeepers, social media managers, and their podcast, One Next Step, is so full of practical tips and actionable tools to help you run your business so it stops running you. Find them at onenextsteppodcast.com or subscribe in the Apple Podcast app today. Now, let's dive into today's conversation. Welcome to System and Soul, the podcast focused on the human energy that runs your business. I'm Chris White, along with my co-host, Benj Miller. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. Jake, drop that beat. Three, two, one. System and Soul, welcome back. This is your host, Benj Miller. Today, I am with my good friend, badass CEO, Heather Fortner. <laughs> Heather and I have gotten to work together, I think, for two plus years, maybe maybe three. Um, so we have quite a fun relationship. I probably know more about Heather than most people I get to have on this podcast, <laughs> but her story is awesome. So, Heather, welcome to the show and start off by telling us something about you that we could not Google. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I don't think you could Google at this point that I am 46 years old with a five-year-old daughter and a five-month-old daughter. I'm not sure you could find that on Google at the moment. Uh, that's probably pretty new news. <laughs> that is extremely new news and we are in the thick of it. Let me tell oh, you. Oh man. Um, congratulations. Um, I'm sure there's some sort of record you're breaking in there, uh, but how has it been being a new mother and how long have you been in the CEO position? Because yeah. that, you know, nine months, 10 months of pregnancy and five months of a, an infant, how long have you been in this role? Yeah. So I became CEO in October of 2020. So literally uh, became president and CEO in in a hot mess of a world uh, during a global pandemic, market crashes. I mean, it was it was a perfect time to roll into a leadership role. <laughs> if you're going to do it, I mean, why not do it then? And then out a baby. <laughs> and then out a baby. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, normally I ask the top three things on your mind, but I would love for the first one to be just, could you share your, just your journey to CEO? Because, yeah. um, most entrepreneurs go create something. They have to start something, build yeah. something yeah. around them. Um, you didn't do that, but you are by almost every definition, an entrepreneur in spirit leading an entrepreneurial company. So talk about your journey. Yeah. So, I, you know, I joke with people all the time. It's like, if you'd have told me 20 years ago that I would have been the CEO of a wealth management firm, I probably would have just laughed in your face. I mean, I, it was just not even something that was on my radar. I actually was going to school to go to medical school. That that was what I wanted to do. Um, and 
honestly, organic chemistry and I just could not get along. Like I just couldn't do it. There's like a complete mental block. Um, so I, my, my dad was like, Hey, you got to get off the payroll at some point, you know, six <laughs> years in college. He's like, go, go get a degree. I don't, I don't really care what it's in. So I got my undergrad in finance and uh, my, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. My investment professor was like, Hey, I think you should go just be an intern, go, go to a wealth management firm, go see what it's all about and then decide your direction. So I did. I started as an intern. I was doing financial planning. I loved it. I loved the technical component of financial planning, but there is a definite itch within me that I think all entrepreneurs understand that you know you want to build, right? You want to create. And as I got bored, I was just my worst self. Mm. I was just not, you know, who I wanted to be when I was not building and creating something new. So um, just so happened that that wealth management firm and a community bank in town decided that they were going to start a trust company. And they said, hey, do you, do you want to go and, and help start this business? And that was amazing for me. I, it, it didn't even occur to me to say no. It was just, oh my goodness, you know, there's there's something to build and, and I got to learn all this new stuff and I got to design technology and I've got to figure out processes. And that was an amazing, fun time for about two years. And and then once it was built, you know, I got, I got a little bored again. So um, I found uh, we were F&D advisors at the time. That was the beginning of 2003. And I think we were I was maybe the sixth or seventh team member, um, and we were about 250 million under management. And so, 20 years later, you know, we're we're six and a half billion under management, over 100 employees, two offices, one in Atlanta, one in Charlotte. Um, and and you know, I started as a client service associate. I started. I was like, I don't care. I'll take whatever role, you know, I can can get. I just want to get in and learn the business and. Being such a small firm, I mean, we all know you just have to wear multiple hats. It's just what you have to do. And you go and you do and you sit and you learn and you just plug through it. And and that, quite frankly, for me was one of the best things I could have ever done because I was able to not only learn different technical components of the business, but also very early on, it, it again, just so happened that the SEC had during that time frame determined that all registered investment advisors needed a chief compliance officer. And so, you know, I just kind of raised my hand and was like, I'll go do it. I I don't know anything about it, but I'll go do it and got the training and um, became chief compliance officer, which is a fantastic way. I tell everybody it's not, I don't think you grow up wanting to be a compliance officer. I didn't. Um, It was really not ever on my radar, but it is an amazing way to learn how to make decisions around, you know, when you've got these regulatory issues and these legal issues combined with business risk. Like we want to grow this business. We want to do these things in the business, but there are, there's a framework uh, uh, that you can operate within to make those decisions. So was doing compliance, got my master's at night uh, in professional counseling, still wanting to pursue that helping profession um, and then was was doing operations as well. So really kind of um, came up through the chief compliance officer role and then director of operations, chief operating officer, president. And then uh, my very first act as CEO was I named a new chief compliance officer. It was it was beautiful. 
talk, tell, dig into that. How, how did being that chief compliance officer help you make decisions and think about mm -hmm. making decisions? Absolutely. So I, I tell everyone, I was so fortunate that in 2005, when I became the chief compliance officer, I, I was sitting at the board room table and I wasn't a decision maker. I wasn't, you know, a, a voting member of the board, but I was there watching how these conversations transpired. And so I got to be a part of all of the major conversations and decisions that were happening in the organization because, you know, in a highly regulated environment, you always have to be sure that you're running your decisions not only as a business through your core values, but then also through this, this really important regulatory framework of, okay, you know, there's risk here. Yeah. And so I think for me, that was the biggest lesson was how to view risk, how to evaluate risk, understanding that there are different types of risk uh, and being able to categorize, you know, the types of risk and then determine, okay, well, which of these risks do we want to take? Yeah. The, you, you just reminded me of two sayings. One, I've been trying to teach to my 13 year old, which is, which is, uh, there, there's the, I don't know where it came from, but the saying that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And it sounds like getting the opportunity to step in and just watch, to be in that environment and to think, you know, see more senior people have conversations that like you got into the closed room mm -hmm. and right. with some level of authority, um, just by, you know, you're the one responsible with this compliance yes. title. The other thing that, that you remind me of, Heather, is that leadership abhors a vacuum. And um, I don't, I, I've never known you to be like pushing your way to the top or into something new. But if there's a leadership gap, then you're going to step in it because somebody has to. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I think that, you know, when, when I think about how, to, how do you take Heather's story and make it transferable, I don't know that everybody can because you, there's a, there is a leadership drive that you have that make, that made that story possible. You didn't try and create that story. You've never been about the next position or the next, you know, the next thing. It's just like, what needs to happen? How can I best serve this? Am I speaking out of line? Is that, that seems true from my perspective. No, it, it is very true. And, and I, you know, some of that I liken to, I didn't know any better. Right. And, and so I tell people all the time, it's like, I didn't have this, you know, super grand vision of what my career was going to be. What I did have was I knew growing up, I grew up in a family where, you know, my, my mom's a nurse, my dad didn't finish college, um, money was tight always. My parents were not super financially literate in the sense of, you know, I'm, I made some really poor financial decisions just even around college and where to go. Like I turned down a full ride to Georgia just because I hated Atlanta. I mean, who, like, hey, dummy, don't do that. Right. So, so 
uh, you know, that there was this real palpable experience that I had had growing up where conversations around money, money issues, it was just always a thing. I worked three jobs to put myself through school. I came out of school with a ton of financial debt, which I probably didn't have to do. And so my belief was just really, I was so passionate about, I think one of the ways that I can make a difference in people's lives is if I can help teach them financial literacy, but also teach them how to talk about money, Mm. how to have, because let me tell you, communication is a skill, right? And it takes a lot of practice to be able to walk into a hard conversation and do it well. And that was why the, the master's in professional counseling, for me, when I learned about systems and I learned about family dynamics, because you have to take those classes when you're getting, doing that coursework. For me, it was like this just light bulb went off of, oh my goodness, like this is how I personally can make an impact in the world. If I can teach families how to have better conversations around money, because money touches everybody, Mm. every single human, and so does communication, right? So if you can learn the skills and apply those skills, can you influence families? Can you influence communities? And so for me, it was just this, I was so passionate about that, that it didn't really matter to me what I was doing, as long as I was learning, as long as I was um, continuing to have the opportunities to build those skills. That for me was was what was the driving force. So, so let us in a little. What are some of the keys or tips to talking about money in our family dynamics. Cause I know that that, yeah. that I have a friend who grew up with a, a dad that ran a giant uh, insurance business and they would talk business and money at the dinner table every single night. And I don't think we ever did. So there's both yeah. ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I grew up in a family where um, I learned that conversations about money were just they were just bad, right? There was just always tension about it. Um, there was just never enough of it. You know, I remember my mom saying, you know, Heather, there were weeks that that we could buy a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk. That was it. That's what we had. You know, and there's, I mean, we were a family of five. So it, it, now I didn't necessarily feel that we went without, but you know, I was that kid, like the neighbors gave us the hand-me-down clothes and, and you just did what you did. Um, but the tension that it caused for my parents was palpable. And I knew that when I got into a relationship with someone, I didn't want for that to be the thing. I didn't want that to be the thing. Right. So for me, it was leaning into this, quite frankly, um, you know, when you get a degree in professional counseling, it's like, you got to go to the hard places, right? So I had to do the work around how do I come into those conversations? What kind of baggage? I did more work on my own personal stuff, right? right? What kind of baggage am I bringing to these conversations? What did I learn about money specifically? Being able to recognize when I got into a relationship with my husband, you know, what did he bring to that conversation? Some things that 
he had gone through and experienced that had formula, you know, for, formulated, quite frankly, how he felt about money. And then how did, what did I bring? And then what did that, you know, space create? And then how were we going to get through all of that? Because all of that, when you bring, you know, two people together and you bring your finances together, and quite frankly, we're a blended family. Um, you know, he came uh, to the marriage with a son and, and we raised him and, and now we have two other daughters talking about all of those issues and what kind of legacy you're going to leave and how does the money get distributed? And what if something happens to my husband or what if something happens to me? All of those are very, very um, intimate, yeah. right? Because money is very touchy. intimate. They're touchy. Very touchy. Um, people have real feelings mm -hmm. that are associated with that. And quite frankly, we all bring our historical baggage around money issues to those conversations. So quite frankly, being aware of my own triggers, being aware of being quite frankly, learning how to recognize other people's triggers in those conversations. Um, and then the skill set around how do you just have difficult conversations? Like, how do I recognize when potentially something is triggering me and I'm responding out of emotion versus out of empathy? How do I get to his side of the table to, to help him um, feel validated in what he's feeling? How do I feel validated yeah. if he, if he's not giving that to me? Like all of those things, I believe, um, one, they make current home situations better if you can do it well, but if you can teach your kids that, yeah, right. Like it changes their life. It is generational impact. Yeah. Huge impact. Mind. You know, it's, I'm, I'm listening to you and it's like, um, you're talking about the home, but I think this is also what makes you an exceptional leader in the workplace because you're talking about your own, uh, your own triggers, being aware of your own baggage and you've done the work there. We, we, our language around that is, is being inwardly sound. And then understanding that other people have baggage, other people have triggers and that's, you know, others focus. So we've got inwardly sound and others focused and then the ability to, to bridge that gap through communication, um, right. and weighing into the tough issues. Like, I think, you know, we were just having a money home conversation, but I think you perfectly summed up what good leadership looks like. Um, and frankly, some of us do it better at the workplace than we do at home, um, or vice versa, but it is so much more personal at home. It, I, I mm. it, it is so interesting. You know, my husband was like, oh, God, I don't want to be married to a professional counselor. Like, <laughs> use that crap on me. And I was like, I get it. I totally get it. Um, it is easier to do that at work than it is to do it at home. Because at home... Um, you, it is raw, right? Like that person knows every yeah. single button to push. They know every single weakness. They know how to trigger you. Um, it is so much more personal and at work you can, you can keep, you know, somewhat of a distance, but at home, like it is, it is just raw, right? Hey listener, if you're loving this episode, we've got an idea for you. Check out the One Next Step podcast. 
One Next Step is hosted by Belay CEO Tricia Shortino and CFO Lisa Zeevelt. They're serving up weekly episodes with actionable business tips and tools from fantastic guests like Damon John, Michael and Megan Hyatt, Chris Walker, and more. They cover everything from how to leverage your executive assistant to three tools to unlocking your leadership potential to what do you do if you can't hire a CFO? And every week they even offer a free resource like Belay's latest ebook, Delegate to Elevate. In it, you'll learn how to accomplish more by juggling less. So head to belaysolutions.com forward slash delegate. Download your free copy of that today. Now, let's get back to today's conversation. Uh, I've been totally monopolizing this conversation, asking you questions because... I'm curious and you're awesome. Uh, what are the top couple things that are on your mind these days? What are you learning about or wrestling through right now? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I had a, a, an amazing conversation with someone yesterday that literally it was one of those like so-and-so that I knew a couple years ago was like, hey, I know this person that I think I need you to talk to, whatever. And I, I didn't really even have an agenda. Um it was one of the most awesome conversations I've had in a very long time. And what I recognized in that conversation, and this is something that that since I became CEO has been, um, it, it's been not only a focus, but almost, almost like a weight that I've been carrying of trying to wrestle through this. Um, I, I don't think that I got to this seat because I said, I want that seat. I got here um, and I love this seat and I love leading and I love doing, I love our company. I love what we do. I now recognize that there is a responsibility that I have, that I carry as a leader who has gotten to the CEO role and as a female who's gotten to the CEO role to help empower other people to do the same. And the conversation I was having yesterday just a beautiful young female leader who was hesitant to step into the the leadership opportunities that she had in front of her because she kept saying, but there's somebody better. Like there's somebody smarter. There's somebody better that they could do a better job. They could do this. And I was just struck with this concept of who is speaking life into her Mm. Who is the person? What is the community that she has surrounded herself with, yeah. right? Or not yeah. that that she needs that is speaking that courage, quite frankly, is what it was, into her to step into that role. And I think a lot of times, and I've just I've just been, I, I think, hypersensitive to it since taking over this role. There are good quality leaders who are afraid and they don't take those opportunities. I didn't know any better, right? Like I was just the the person that was like, whatever, I'm just going to do it. And if I fail, whatever, (laughs) I I was probably just too stubborn to know otherwise, but how, how am I now wielding this, this influence that I have, right? This real weighty, thing that I don't even sometimes even really recognize right, that I have right. to speak courage into 
the leaders, not only in our firm, but outside of our firm that need to step in. Like they are the ones that we want to be the next generation of leaders. What am I doing? Like, am I wielding that influence wisely? And do I even give myself credit or credence to the fact that that influence my words matter? Yeah, they have weight. Um, they do. And, and I think as a new leader, you know, sometimes maybe even as a, as a 20 year leader, sometimes we, we're just humble or we don't even recognize that, that what we speak over people and to people Absolutely. can either encourage or completely crush yeah. Someone's, yeah. someone's motivation to move forward. I, um, I absolutely love that. Totally agree with you. Um, I'm curious. It's only been 24 hours, so I'm totally putting you on the spot. Has that sparked any actions, any any resolutions of, of how you're going to go about that or what you're going to do to make sure that that's front and center? You know, what I'm thinking about, um, I, 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 when I bring this back to the business, so so I think about DE&I, right? And this has been a focus since really 2020. I mean, I stepped into a leadership role within our firm. I mean, I was already the COO, but, but into a president and then CEO type leadership role where I was expected to speak at a time when... I mean, the world was just a hot mess. Like, let's be honest, right? There's not only COVID, but the markets are crashing. There's racial injustice going on. Yeah. I wrote an article about this for Inc. recently where it was, I remember specifically, I was moving in the middle of COVID. First of all, who does that? Apparently a lot of people Yeah, now did. everybody. Like, right? Everybody did it. Um, it was June 1st. I was surrounded by boxes, like literally did, couldn't find my computer. I was lucky to find my phone and I get a text and it's like, you need to check your email. And I sit down on the stair and I check my email and all of these emails were going around within the firm of addressing the racial injustice, the, the murders that had happened um, and how our team was feeling about it. And, and the emotion was just raw. I mean, it was absolutely raw. And people were looking to me, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? And I was like, I, I have no idea. Like, I didn't even, it never even crossed my brain binge to ask my African-American team members and friends, how are you doing? Are you okay? Like, there's mass riots going on in Atlanta and it never occurred to me. And that was a, a real moment for me of what am I doing? Like I've seen all of this stuff happening and I have had the privilege to not engage. Mm. And guess what? I don't get to not engage anymore. Yeah. And yeah. if I'm going to engage, I have to understand and know what do I stand for? What matters? How do I speak about this? What do I even think about all of this? How do I speak intelligently about this? Have I, have I even like done the thought work for myself of yeah. how am I feeling? Right. right. 
And so I started this just really intense journey of all of that. Like I haven't done the work and I'm not going to speak to it until I have done the work. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I need to do this work quickly because as the leader of this organization, these people, my friends, my team members, they need me to stand for something. Yeah. They need Signature FD to stand for something. And so really this journey of what does DE&I mean to us? What are the implications that it's having through our business? What do I believe? What do they believe? How are we going to have these conversations? And so I think this concept of wielding the influence wisely, it has been a journey for me. And it is going to be a continuing journey for me of, you know what, this is important, not only in my home, it is important in our community, it is important in our business, and it is important in the world. And so how am I going to take the platform that I have been gifted with at this moment and in this season of my life yeah. and use it for good? That That's the game, right? And so, so now it is a matter of We've tried a lot of things in the organization. We, we started a, a DE&I task force. We've engaged with some organizations and com, um, colleges in the, in the city that we've never been engaged with before. Mm-hmm. We brought in some external training um, that has been phenomenal. We've had, I have a reverse mentoring relationship with someone in the organization who I can speak openly and honestly and transparently with about this stuff and and get real answers about it. You know, we've done team health exercises as a senior leadership team, um, but really honing that down to, okay, now is the time, right? Now that I know what we believe and I know that, that, that we are all there and what we're doing and what we've tried, now is the time to take that and go speak externally um, and and really actually help others that I believe want to go on this journey, but not, might not know how to get started. That's fair. Yeah. You, you, you have me just like, I mean, I'm pretty stoic, but like, I'm, I'm like <laughs> leadership pumped up. Like um, you're just, you're given a masterclass on what leadership looks like. And so I, I, I so appreciate that in you. Hey podcast listeners, this is System and Soul Coach, Mark Hateman. I'd like to leave you a tip that is helping my clients achieve clarity and control within their business. The org chart exercise can be a real challenge for a small business. You have a small leadership team serving multiple roles who's required to differentiate between the responsibilities of a role and the who is currently filling those responsibilities within their organization. I find that putting the emphasis on the role and determining what responsibilities and key performance indicators are critical for that role allows the team to determine the who in the future with the additional tools that System and Soul provides for doing so. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Heather, what what is special about Signature FD and where do people connect with you and find out more about Signature FD? Yeah, I love that question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm that person, right, that 
I'm not my best self when I get bored. So the fact that I've been at Signature FD 19 years now, I think just speaks volumes to the growth. It speaks volumes to the passion. It speaks volumes to the entrepreneurial spirit that we all share. Um, the thing I love most about Signature FD, we call it net worthwhile. And really the, the, the net worthwhile for each individual is what matters most to us. It is the place where your wealth, the things that matter most to you, your time, your money, your resources, all of those things overlap with the things that you find most worthwhile in life. And, and marrying those two things and creating a, a plan, a design that actually incorporates not only all of the financial components, but all of your true wealth components and aligning them to the things that are worthwhile and going through the exercises of identifying what those things are. Like Signature FD does such a great job of creating a space a non-judgmental space, recognizing that every person's net worthwhile is different for every client, every prospect to come into this space and say, you know what, honestly, these are the things that matter most to me. And for us to say, absolutely, I love that. It's completely valid. Now let's figure out how to design your world so that you have the confidence and the freedom to pursue those things. That is net worthwhile. And for me, I have been able to, to do that from a human component with my own life, with my own professional development. You don't get to be a 46-year-old CEO with a five-month-old if your firm does not believe in net worthwhile. Mm, Let me tell you, yeah. you, you yeah. Ju it just doesn't happen, right? There was... There was nothing but celebration and joy for me at, from the board level through the organization when I, you know, told everyone that, that we were pregnant. And, and the reality was that everyone had been on that journey with us for the past 15 years that it's taken for this to happen. And there was just a massive celebration. That is net worthwhile, right? That is aligning resources, firm team, the way the senior leadership team came around to support me during that time, to support the organization. That is what makes Signature FD special. So where can we, where can we find Signature FD or where's the best yeah. place to connect so, with you directly? So I am on LinkedIn, Heather Robertson Fortner. I am also on the website. You can reach out to anybody uh, on our team through our website, www.signaturefd.com. Um, there's actually a really fun net worthwhile quiz tool that you can take that will um, just 10 super easy, quick questions that will help you identify some of the things that matter to you. Um, I encourage everybody to take it. It's a free tool and and it is a it is an excellent start to the conversation. So before we get off here, <laughs> I mean, serious masterclass in leadership, but we'd be remiss if we let it, everything seem as perfect as you said it, because like the reality is at, at your level, 
you are a magnet for all the drama in the world, right? So like we were joking at the beginning before we started recording, like the painters show up right before we record a podcast and your husband breaks his nose this morning and is bleeding everywhere. Like, like it's not, it's not because yes. things are perfect that you can operate at this level. It's actually, you're operating at this level when there's always chaos. Um, and, and so I, I don't know if I'm even asking a question. I just want to make that known because it's easy to have a conversation and talk about all the awesomeness. Um, yeah. and you've yeah. been vulnerable and I, I appreciate that. And, but like, it's, there's, there's always something we can't go me, spend our time on how do we empower all of our people a hundred percent of the time, because we're, we're fighting fires as well. We're hot messes. Like, like, like to be real. I feel like someone took my life. I mean, I've got a five month old, right? Somebody took my life, put it in a blender and hit the smoothie button. Like <laughs> let's be real, right? I normally operate on a very rigid schedule. Like that was how I managed my world. Um, but but here's, here's what I have found. Um, I have a sign in my bathroom that says literally two words, grace and grit. And somewhere along the way. And, and I need to give credit to, I have two external coaches, right. That, that coach me hard somewhere along the way I have learned, and this has not been of my own accord. It has been with help from a community of, of very strong leaders that the best leadership comes from being able to be in this space that is messy and and sometimes very very ugly and stressful and hard to have grit to simply take the next step but to shower people and yourself with grace to realize guess what if I had an Instagram worthy leadership persona and brand, nobody would want to, nobody would want me around. Like who wants that? That's not real life. It's not about, I, I, I hate to say it. I don't believe it's about work-life balance. I believe it's about work-life integration and the community that you are surrounding yourself with. I can't do it all. And guess what? The people that I'm surrounded with, they are uniquely gifted in all of the areas that I am not. And I am a better leader because I am pouring into them and letting them do the thing that they are uniquely gifted to do that I don't need to do. I only need to do the things that only I can do. And if I can afford myself that grace and I can afford other people that grace to simply be there together, it's, it is an integration and an activation of leadership that I just don't think you get when it's all Instagram worthy. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Beautiful. Let's end on that. Heather, thanks for spending some time with me and us this morning. Thanks for having me, Benji. I appreciate it. System and Soul. We'll see you next time.